Welcome to Diverse City Church Sermons. We hope that you enjoy this week's message by Pastor Ray. Week six, we are halfway there on our series where we are doing a thorough investigation of the 12 chosen apostles of Jesus. In week one, I did an overview. In week two, we studied the life of Andrew. Week three, we studied the life of Bartholomew. Week four, we studied the life of James, the son of Alphaeus. Week five, we studied James, the son of Zebedee. And today, I'd like to study James, the brother of of John, um, John, the brother of James, who is also the son of Zebedee. Before we begin to talk about John, let me first just open out of Mark. Because he is the brother of James, we're going to read the same text that we opened up with last week. Mark chapter 3, I'm going to read verses 14 through 18. And it says, starting at verse 14, that Jesus appointed 12 that he may send them out to preach and to have power to heal the sick and to cast out demons. It says that the names of these 12 were Simon, whom he gave the name Peter, John, excuse me, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, whom he gave the names sons of thunder then there's also Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the Canaanite and Judas now I want to just talk about John for a little bit to you today let let me ask a question has this been helpful as we have studied the the life of these apostles has it been helpful for anybody That's the goal, is that is helpful for you. And and today I believe that God's going to help bring some more light to your life. If you look at John, John is the younger brother of James. Now, John's name means gracious, and you will see in just a little bit that he experienced lots of grace from God. Also, John and Paul, in case you didn't know, are the only two apostles that we know of that did not get married. And they were probably the two most anointed apostles. No? no? Okay. All right. Moving on. Um, It's really true, to be honest with you, but we won't talk about that. Uh, To get uh, in more details uh, about John's family, uh, you need to go listen to last week's message because, again, James and John are brothers, so I'm not going to bore you with telling you about John's mom and dad or his vocation or his sacrifice when he left his call to ministry because we talked about all that last week when he studied his brother. But I would like you to go back and listen to last week's message because you will have an enlightenment as I talked about James and you begin to connect the dots that that also means that I'm talking about John. So last week's message would be very helpful as we talk about and look at John. So when we think about John, I want to first tell you that John is an exceptional man. 
Though he was the younger brother of James, he was in many ways more of a shining star or played a more significant role than his older brother James. John, as I talked about last week, and we'll give you more detail to right now, wrote five books of the Bible. How many books did James write? None. Thank some of y'all listened last week. Cornelius, you were the first one. Shout out to you, my dude. Are you good? You good people. None. That's what I'm talking about. John wrote five books. Unlike James, he wrote five books of the Bible. John is extremely anointed and an amazing author, and he tapped into profound wisdom and knowledge and revelation from God. John is the author of the Gospel of John. He's also the author of three of the epistles, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. And he's also the author of... One person, you won on that one, Cornelius, Revelations. The five books that John wrote were the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and Revelations. Now, when we read the book of Revelations, it's not hard to see that it was a book that was revealed to John. See, Revelation is a very deep book. How many people have read Revelations? All right, some of y'all. How many of y'all have skipped over Revelations? Okay, one person's honest. Thank you, two people. Uh, because you read Revelations and it, and it gets a bit tricky because what's happening is John, the Bible says that he went into what I want to call just for layman's terms, is went into a trance, if you will. And, and he was in the spirit transported from heaven to earth and began to have knowledge deposited to him. And there he beheld the glory of God, the Lamb of God, the plans of God and John had a great deep profound revelation come to him and he began to write this revelation down hence we have the last book of the Bible called Revelations in the book of Revelations we learn about heaven we learn about judgment we learn about Jesus being the Lamb of God we learn about the book of life We learn about the prayers of the saints coming up like incense. We learn about the warnings that God gave to the churches. We learn about the lukewarm churches, the hot churches, the cold churches, those that are going to fall away from God. There's many great, profound, amazing things that we learn through the book of Revelations. The book of Revelations is John's writing, as I said, and he had a vision. And he had a vision when he was in heaven and God began to say to him, hey, John, what you're about to see, I want you to write it down. So John takes out a pen and a piece of paper and he begins to write down the revelations. And can I tell you, revelations is deep. I say that to you because the book of Revelation reveals who the person of John really is. John was deep. Y'all with me? John was deep. John had a special insight or an intel to who Jesus was. John was extra special. Now, some of y'all extra special, but this is a different kind of extra special. See, John was that dude that somehow had the ability to tap in to the mysterious things of God and get revelation straight from him. See, John taught us the deep things of God, but John didn't learn them from anybody but God himself. 
See, John was deep. Matter of fact, I'd go a step further and say in many ways it seems that he was a little bit deeper than all the other writers. I would definitely say that he was most assuredly, definitely, 100%, no excuse, guaranteed, deeper than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew, Mark, and Luke give accounts of Jesus' life, but John gives a revelation of Jesus' divinity. Let, let, me, let me say that again. Matthew, Mark, Luke, they give an account of Jesus' life, but John gives a revelation of his divinity. See, when you look at Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they call them the synoptic gospels, which means that all three of them are the same because, because it's three different people that are giving an account or a historical backline and painting a picture and telling the story of who Jesus is and what he did. But when you look at the gospel of John, it's not as much much historical as it is spiritual. See, the book of John goes in a whole different way. It's completely different. When you read the gospel of John, it stands out from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. See, because Matthew, Mark, and Luke are simply rewriting the story they watched. But John was writing through revelation that he got from God. See, in the opening chapter of John's book, he references Jesus as the Lamb of God in chapter 1. Then throughout the entire book of John, keeps, John keeps revealing Jesus as the Lamb of God. The entire book, the main theme you begin to see is the, the sovereignty and the power and the authority and the Godhead named Jesus. As I said just a moment ago, the Synoptic Gospels or Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these stories reveal to us who Jesus was or what he did, but John reveals the sovereignty of Jesus. John continues to reveal this great mystery, not only in the book of John, but he begins to reveal it more in 1 John. He begins to reveal it more in 2 John and 3 John. And then he goes on to Revelation and closes out the deal with a home run, revealing over 20 times in the book of Revelations that Jesus is the Lamb of God. John starts his writings in chapter 1 with saying, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then over 20 times in the closing book of John, the closing book of the Bible, God gives a revelation to John again and says the same way you opened up St. John and said behold the Lamb of God I want you to say over and over again that you see the Lamb of God in heaven who had been slain like a lamb I want us to see that John did not just give accounts of Jesus but he literally gave us revelation of Jesus Matter of fact, John is what I would call probably my most favorite book of the Bible. John was, he, he was that dude. He, he was awesome. And, and, and it's a great book full of mystery and, and just so many just insights and hints of the glory and power and, and sovereignty that Jesus had. But let me tell you about John real quick. You know, we'll get a little bit more practical in a minute. But I want to teach you guys first because we're a diverse church. I, I need to teach you. Because this satisfies my white folk who like teaching. And then to my black folk, my brothers who like preaching. I'm going to preach for you. Just give me a minute. Just deal with me. Just, just, 
Just hang with me. Just, just, let me, just let me be Presbyterian for a couple minutes. And, and, and I'm going to become Church of God in Christ, Baptist, Apostolic, whatever you want me to, just give me a minute. I'm like a 50, 55 Ford. You just got to prime my motor, get, get me going, and you, we good. So just, just, just deal with me. Y'all cool? We good? All right, all right, all right. Just one. So, so unlike the Apostle Paul and some of the other writers that you see in the Bible, John wrote very little from the autobiographical nature. A lot of these other authors wrote from an autobiographical nature. They reference who they were, where they were, who were they were writing to. But when you look at John, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John, you will not find any autobiographical terminology or narrative or nature with these books. Because John, when he wrote, he did not write about himself. Not that it was wrong, the Apostle Paul would say, I got onto a boat and then I was shipwrecked. There's nothing wrong that in the book of Acts, Luke is recording the various people and what they did and went through. There's nothing wrong with recording what they went through and make it all about God with a little bit of autobiographical nature. There's nothing wrong with that. But John didn't do it. John specifically kept his entire book, John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and Revelations all about one thing, the revelation of Jesus. Now, it's very important because you're going to remember as I talk a little bit more about the stupidity of John and how he learned and how you can see it by what he ended up writing. So you'll see that in just a minute. So, so let me get back on track here and say, in all of John's writings, he promoted primarily Jesus, and scarcely did he mention his own name. Matter of fact, he doesn't mention his own name at all in John, 1 John, 2 John, or 3 John. You don't even see his name in all four of these accounts. You don't see it. The only name you see that's close to his name is John the Baptist. Don't think John the Baptist is John the Apostle. They're different. Everybody with me? John never mentions himself by name. Some of you are saying, well, I don't know if that really means anything. It means a whole lot. Because if you look in the book of Matthew, all 12 disciples are named, Matthew being one. All the apostles are named there. You you look in Mark. You look in Luke. All the apostles are named there. But in the book of John, he never listed the names of the 12 disciples. Most people believe the reason that he never listed the names of the 12 is because he wanted his name to never be mentioned. Now, you will see that he mentions other apostles, but he never mentions his own. We'll get into that a little bit more in just a moment. But I want you to see that in his writings, John's main goal was to reveal the nature of Jesus, not himself. See, the deity of Jesus was what he was trying to get across to us. He didn't write to tell stories about what Jesus did. He wrote to teach us that Jesus was more than a prophet. That's why John was on the scene. John was called as an apostle to not show us the stories. Matthew, Mark, Luke did that. He was on the scene to get a deep revelation of Jesus and teach us that Jesus is the Lamb of God. And in John 1 and 1, it says, in the beginning, God created, uh, uh, that God created everything, right? In Genesis 1 and 1, we know that God created everything. But in John 1 and 1, he gives this fresh revelation 
about how everything that was created was Jesus and he was actually the one and then and then he became flesh and dwelt among us so John comes out the gate giving this deep revelation of Jesus I believe that John's main goal was to reveal to us the church that Jesus is more than a prophet he's more than a good dude in Matthew Mark Luke He's more than a good guy that, that made a good impact like Martin Luther King Jr. or, or, or Gandhi. He, he's more than that. See, see, John got revelation that Jesus was the Son of God, creator of all things, and by him the world stood and was existed. That's why John came on the scene. So what I want us to see first outside of these five books that John wrote is that of all the disciples, of all the apostles... John is believed to be the closest to Jesus. Okay? Now, this is important, y'all. Bear with me. We know that John was one of the inner three. We've talked about that. If y'all are, like, a little bit lost, you need to go back and listen. We know that Jesus had 70 that he sent out two by two. We know that he had the 12 that followed him every day, and these were his 12 disciples. And then of those 12, he had three that was his inner circle, Peter, James, and John. Everybody with me? And of these three who were Peter, James, and John, it is believed that John was the most intimate or had the closest relationship to Jesus. We can determine that John had a more intimate fellowship with Jesus than any of the other disciples by the way John describes his relationship to us in his book. Four times you read in the book of John where he referenced his relationship with Jesus, but he never calls out his own name. Keeping this in mind, John never calls out his own name, but he references himself four times. And what is said is it says that he is the disciple whom Jesus loved. Some translations say that he is the beloved. If you look up, we talked about what the names of the various apostles were that were stemming back thousands of years. And and we said that James was James the Less, and the other one was James the Great. And we talked about how Andrew was Andrew the personal evangelist, right? And, And we're talking today about John and his title that he has had for 2,000 or more years is John the Beloved. Because for 2,000 years, ever since he lived and then when he died, there has always been this tradition that's been passed down that him and Jesus were tighter than any one of the others. That they just had this deep relationship and, and, and they were just a little bit closer than the rest. Now, I want to show you that in the Bible. In John chapter 13 and 23, it says, Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Now, let me stop real quick and explain this to you because the world we live in today, I don't want you to get the wrong ideas and leave here thinking something that, that, that the Bible is not saying. See, in our world, we got people who are homophobic. And, and, and when you're a homophobic, now y'all probably think, you ain't never heard that, heard that word from the pulpit, have you? First time? First time you heard preach talk about homophobic? From the pulpit? Okay, uh, a couple of years. So, so um, homophobic means you're scared to, you know, you're scared to gay people, but not only are you scared to gay people, but you're scared to even do something that may look like you're gay yourself. 
So I know lots of guys who are scared to give another dude a hug because they don't want to look too homo. So they're homophobic. Right? And, and I say that because when you read this scripture, somebody's like, what in the world are you talking about that for? When you read this scripture, it says that Jesus, or excuse me, that, that the beloved disciple laid on Jesus' bosom. In other scriptures, it says he laid on his chest. But if you read before that, it really begins to make sense because what happened was they were together, the 12 of them, and they were having their, their last meal together. And Jesus said, I'm about to be betrayed and killed. And at that moment, the one that had the closest relationship with him reached over and held him and gave him a big hug and just began to grip him and says, oh, Lord, I don't want this to be. I give you a good example. It always shocks me to do a funeral and I'll see big grown dudes that act real hard out there but when one of their friends or their granny or someone they love dies you'll see them up here at the casket weeping all over their other friend or cousin because what happens is that whole idea of being homophobic goes out the window because in the moment you're in a deep moment of despair and brokenness and you just want to latch on and cry See, I believe that this is where the beloved was. And, and after he heard the story of Jesus about to be betrayed and killed, he draw close to Jesus and began to weep on him. We see in John 20 and 2, it says, Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved. In John 21 and 20, it says, Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following whom also leaned on his chest at supper. I want us to see that John had a deep revelation of God's love. He was so loved by Jesus and he loved Jesus so deeply. We know this is so true because you see over and over again the mentions of love. Let me explain. Not only did John have, or understand rather, that Jesus loved the world because in John 3.16, he wrote, for God so loved the world, right? We all know that. Why did John write, for God so loved the world? Easy, because he was the beloved. He had the love of God in him and had experienced the love of God for him. Therefore, it was easy for him to pin in John chapter 3 and 16 that for God so loved the world. John understood that God loved the world. But can I tell you that John did not just understand that God loved the world? John also understood that God loved him personally. This is important. He knew and understood the love of God so much that he referenced himself as the beloved or as the disciple that Jesus loved four times. And John mentions over 80 times something to do with love in his book. Over 80 times he references love. See, we need to understand something. John knew that God loved the world. 
We need to know that God loves the world. Some of y'all want to write folks off because of their sexual orientation or because they're transitioning or because they're all confused or because of mental illness or drug addiction or depression or because they've stabbed you in the back so many times or because they've been on drugs and they've cheated you and scammed you and belittled you and now you think that maybe God doesn't love them but can I I tell you that I don't care how far they get from God, that God still loves the world. And and John understood that. How did he get it though? He got it because he had experienced the own love for his own life. See, John was jacked up. He was a son of thunder. You wouldn't know what that means unless you were here last week. He was the son of thunder. I mean, I mean, John had experienced the grace of God. His name meant gracious. The reason he understood and, and, and was able to love and preach God loves the world is because he himself had been loved by God. But what I want us to see is not only do we as Christians need to know that God loves everybody... Is but we must also remember that God loves us personally. Can I tell you that there are lots of Christians that don't think that God loves the world, and I want you to know that that's false because God loves everything He created. But on the flip side, there's many Christians who think, you know what, God does love the world, but sometimes you wonder if God loves you. Because you do not see the fruits of your labor. You do not see growth in your seed. You do not get the confirmation from your loved ones or the affirmation from your boss. And you begin to doubt, does God really love me? Because we're always looking for some sort of accolade or recognition or pat on the back or some sort of confirmation to come to confirm that God really loves you. And it is sad when we know that God loves the world, but we wonder if God loves us. Can I tell you that we have to be balanced Christians that know that God loves the world, but he also loves us. It's a hard thing to take the love of God and and really internalize that and say, God loves me. That's hard. Why is that so hard? Because we're jacked up. And our understanding of love is we're loved once we love. But, But we need to know before we ever love, God already loved us. And we don't need to do anything to get his love because he loves us regardless if we ever love him. See, I don't think it's a coincidence that John wrote some of the deepest books in the Bible. I don't. Revelation's one of the deepest books in the Bible. The Gospels, the fourth Gospel is the deepest book of all the Gospels. They call the book of John the Gospel of Gospels. Lots of theologians or those that like to study the Scriptures call the book of John the Holy of Holies. Why? Because it sticks out and it's so different from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Why is it that John had such a deep book as opposed to Matthew, Mark, and Luke? Why is it that John had a revelation that was compelled by the Holy Spirit putting him into some sort of trance and allowing him to break through into heaven and get a revelation that nobody else had? I'll tell you why it is. It's because he had an intimate relationship with Jesus 
that takes us deeper and unlocks more heavenly wisdom than we could ever get by just coming to church on Sunday. Jesus wants to speak to his people, but it requires us going beyond the surface. Anybody hear me over here? If we want revelation like John, we need to go deep like John. If we want God to begin to make his love perfected in us, if we want to be able to love the world like Jesus loves the world, if we want him to speak things and make things so clear and we want his word to come alive, can I tell you coming to church for two hours isn't going to do it? The reason that John knew the deep mysteries of God and penned the gospel of John, the epistles of John, and the revelations of John is because John was intimate with Jesus. We must understand that intimacy will produce depth with God, but surface Christianity will never take you off of the pew. I'm preaching to somebody today. Am I Presbyterian Church of God in Christ or somewhere right in the middle? Nobody answers. You're like, that's a loaded question. I'm not answering. All right, the next thing I want you to see is John is the son of thunder. Now, I'm just going to spend a moment here. That's my goal. It's because we've already talked about this. But in Mark chapter 3 and 14, it says that he appointed the 12 and, and he sent them out two by two. And then you see at the very end that he gave the names of James and John, sons of thunder. We talked about how there is the, 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 the purpose of the name Sons of Thunder came from their thunderous passion. And how they had this uncompromising voice that stood up and proclaimed the things of God. The problem was is many times their voice, their mouth, got them in trouble. Their passion or their thunder was so loud that it equated to them having a short fuse or a temper or putting their foot in their mouth, as we would say today. Right? They were sons of thunder, sons of passion, sons that were loud and boisterous. Some would call them ghetto, trailer park, redneck, whatever. That's what they were. And, 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 I, and I want us to see for a moment John's foot-in-mouth experience. In Luke chapter 9, it says in verse 49, Now John answered and said, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. We saw them casting out demons in your name. You hear me, Jesus? In your name. And we forbade them. We told them you can't do that. Because, let, let me tell I saw them doing things in your name, and I told them they couldn't do it because they did not follow with us. I told them that they could not do anything in your name because they weren't one of us. And Jesus said to him, John, do not forbid him, for he who is not against us is on our side. 
and I, I really need this to sit in for a moment because think about what Jesus was saying and think about the heart of John. John essentially was saying, you know what, bro, I went out the other day and I was just trying to witness. And while I was out there witnessing, can you believe that I saw a Methodist church? They ain't even a part of the diverse city. I mean, Pastor, I, I mean, I was on a task. This is our block, bro. This is our block. We own South Side. This is our block. We do ministry. To, that's my park. That's my parking lot. That's our Aldi. That's our shopping save. We do outreach there. We got them. We buy hot dogs there. We get the discounts. That's us. And they going to try to come up here? Right? And Jesus was like, bro, you got a problem. He says, don't you realize that it doesn't matter who's working in South City, who's handing out tracts at Aldi, who's ministering to people at Shop and Save. It doesn't matter who prays for whomever. If they are not against us, they're on our side. It's easy for us to allow a spirit of competition to rise up in us. And we begin to operate church by church. We're like, oh, yeah, what church you go to? Oh, I go to diversity. How about you? Oh, yeah, I, I go here. Oh, yeah. What y'all got for kids ministry? <laughs> Prayer ministry? Yeah, how many's on the team? How many, how many times y'all pray? How often do you pray? How many people's in church? Right? That's what we do. Because there's this competitive spirit that wants to come over us. And, and once we begin to operate in the goodness of God and we're doing all these great things, we, forget, we kind of forget and we think that we're the only one doing something for God. Right? There's many people. That's why I always laugh at people who become super critical of other Christians who aren't worshiping quite like you. Who cares if they don't worship like you? If they name a name of Jesus, let's walk hand in hand. Oh, but they don't speak in tongues. I don't care. They don't acknowledge the gifts of the Spirit and people being healed. It doesn't matter. If they're not against me, I'm not against them. But for some reason, we have this spirit that rises up in us, much like John, that Jesus has to rebuke. See, when I look at this and, and begin to think, what comes to mind is this name, Sons of Thunder. Now, now think about this. This is important. It says, Sons of Thunder. From my knowledge, I, I was looking as much as I could. I, I'm pretty sure I'm right, but I'm not 100% right, that there's only one reference of Sons of Thunder. Only one time did Jesus say, you all are Sons of Thunder, and he never references it again. And, and this is very important to me. Because if you look at the name Simon, Simon went to Jesus and became Peter. And he stayed Peter. Everybody say, yep, amen. Saul had an encounter with Jesus, and he became Paul, and he stayed Paul. Jacob had an encounter with God and became Israel, and he stayed Israel. But when John had an encounter with Jesus and said, you are a son of thunder, they never referenced him as son of thunder again. Only one time was he referenced as son of thunder and never again. You say, well, maybe that was just a coincidence. Well, why is it in the accounts of the 12 disciples that Peter got his new name, not his old name? Why is it when they list Judas, they, they make sure to enter in there what Jesus added to his name, the traitor? 
See, because what I want you to see is when Jesus changes your name, your name is changed. When Jesus does a work in your life, the work is to be completed and you keep walking in it. So Saul was a critical man, a judgmental man, a persecuting man. And he experienced the grace of God and became Paul. And then Paul continued to walk in grace. Jacob was a deceiver. He manipulated and schemed and did whatever he could to get whatever he wanted. And then God showed up and said, you've been scheming all your life. Now your name is Israel because you wrestled with God and with man and I'm going to bless you. And for the rest of his life, Jacob was known as Israel. You look at Abram who became Abraham. Every single person who had an encounter with God and their name was changed continued to walk in their new name, not their old one. But yet John did not take the name Son of Thunder. See, Thunder was what he was before he met Jesus. See, before he met Jesus, he was flawed and jacked up. His mouth was short. He talked too quick. His fuse was this big. His temper got the best of him. He was foot in mouth, and he was always doing whatever to hurt somebody and didn't mean to. His mouth just kept getting him in trouble. And, and, and Jesus shows up on the scene and says, bro, you know what? You a son of thunder. Right? That's what he says. He says, you are a son of thunder because thunder was what he was when he first met Jesus. Thunder was his personality. It was his character flaws. And it was all the stupidity in his life before Jesus transformed him. John did not remain thunderous. That's why he didn't carry the name. I hope I'm teaching somebody something this morning. Our goal is to be transformed. See, some of y'all saying, well, I don't really know about that. Oh, I'll tell you a lot about that. Because here's the goal for all of us, that Jesus comes up in your life and says, you are a this. You are a that. You are a son of greed. You are a son of lies. You're a son of manipulation. You're a son of anger. You're a son of abuse. You're a son of neglect. You're a liar. You're a thief. You're judgmental. You're, you're, you're self-centered, self-ambitious. And that's what Jesus was saying is you are a son of thunder, but just stay with me and I'm going to reveal how you're thunder. I'm going to rebuke you and criticize you. And then when you write the book of John, there won't be any thunder in it. See, because when you read the book of John, it's all about love. There's no more passion about sending people to hell like it was early on in his career. Isn't it funny that the one who is named Thunderous is now the one writing the book of love? Tell me God ain't good. See, John did not remain Thunderous. He was changed. John did not keep seeking to be first like he did in Mark chapter 10. Remember we talked about him being a position seeker? James and John, they were seeking position. They wanted to be Jesus' number one and two. They said, Jesus, we've given up everything. We think we deserve to be number one and two. Right? And then by the end of the book, by the end of his life, he had experienced so much transformation. 
That he no longer cared about being first, second, third, fourth, or fifth. And, and we know that to be true because when he wrote the book of John and the epistles of John, he doesn't even mention his name. I believe he was writing that book and he thought, hello, church of Ephesus. I greet you in the name of the Lord Jesus, and I am the Apostle John. And then he says, oh, I, I don't even think I'm worthy to put my name in here. So he takes it out. I believe he's getting to the place where he's going to list all 12 disciples in the, apostle, in the book of John, St. John. And as he starts to write them, he gets down to his name, and he says, oh, I don't even think I'm worthy. I'm going to scratch this out and not put any of the apostles here. See, I believe what happened was that John was so teachable that when Jesus exposed his selfish ambition and his desire to be first, that John took it so serious that he put all precautionary measures and boundaries in place to make sure that his flesh didn't rise over submission to the grace of God. And John says, I'm not even going to write my name in the book of John. I'm not even going to sign who wrote it in the, in the book of, of, of 1 John and 2 John and 3 John. See, they learned something from Jesus when he rebuked them. I really believe they learned something that day. Remember last week as we talked about James and John again in their position, they desired to be great, but, but Jesus checked them that day. And, and, and after that, everything changed. John took it to heart. And wrote four books with never even mentioning his name. Here's what I want you to see next. Blood is thicker than water. But the spirit is thicker than blood. Let me say that again. Blood is thicker than water. But the spirit is thicker than blood. Now, before I give you this last point, because some of you are saying, that's deep, but what's it mean? Let me just, just reiterate very quickly. John was the closest apostle to Jesus. He's the beloved. And through his intimacy, God revealed depth of the knowledge of who God is. And if we want to go deeper... If we want to know more and grow more, we need to take our walk with God more seriously. The more intimate we go with Jesus, the more intimate he becomes with us. Secondly, I want you to see that even though John, excuse me, was the son of thunder, he was not remembered by that name because he was a new creature. Old things passed away and all things become new. And even though you may meet Jesus with a thunderous passion... Even though you meet Jesus broken and fallen apart, the goal is, is over a process of you being sanctified, becoming more holy, looking more and more like him, you take off that old name and you begin to put on a new name. The third thing I want you to see as I'm reiterating here is that John was not interested in position or his namesake anymore. And we know it to be true because he never even references his own name in his books except Revelation. And it's barely. He says this is the revelation of John. <laughs> That's it. It's not a whole lot. 
But last, what I want you to see as we close is blood is thicker than water, but the spirit is thicker than blood. And the reason I'm closing with this is because I want you to see something in John chapter 19. If you look in John chapter 19, verse 26 and 27, it says, When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples whom whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother. Stop right there real quick. All right, let's go back and read this again. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by. Y'all see that? Okay, now you need to realize what this is saying. This is picking out someone that he loved a little bit more than the others. Y'all with me? And, and the reason it is written like this is because John had such a conviction of edifying or lifting himself or exalting himself above measure. And he took it so serious that he began to reference himself by the disciple whom Jesus loved. So this here is actually saying John. Y'all with me? So, so it's saying that when Jesus saw his mother and he saw the disciple whom he loved named John, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own home. If you begin to follow out the story of Mary, you will actually see that Mary moved in and became the spiritual mother and the responsibility of John because Jesus commanded John that you're to take care of my mother. And Jesus told mother, he's going to take care of you. Now, I need you to know real quick that Jesus had brothers. Remember, we talked about that. If you don't remember that, go back a few weeks. That's my plug to get you to go back. Jesus had brothers. Why is it that when Jesus was about to die, hanging on Calvary's cross, he didn't look at one of his brothers and say, I expect you to take care of mama. Why didn't he look at his brother and say, I expect you to take care of mama. Why didn't he look at mom and say, hey mom, I know the oldest brother is going to take care of you. Think about that. Isn't a little bit peculiar That Jesus in his infinite wisdom about to die on Calvary's cross looking down as he hung there and saw his mother weeping and saw the beloved with the mother. And he says, mama, this is your son. And brother, beloved, this is your mother. And then John took that woman into his house as his own mother. Now, I began to think about that. Let me tell you what I got. What I got was, it's unfortunate that there wasn't a blood relative that could watch Mary. What's unfortunate is that Jesus had no one in his family that he could trust enough to take care of his mother. Y'all know where I'm going, right? It's unfortunate because the Bible says in John, somewhere in John, I can't tell you where, but it talks about that his brothers did not believe. Now we know later on, one of them comes to the saving grace of Jesus and and repents and turns around and gets saved and then they end up writing books. James, his brother, wrote a book. Jude, the other brother, wrote a book. So they end up getting saved. But up until this point, none of them believed in Jesus. They were following the crowd. 
They, they were following what the Pharisees and Sadducees and all the other people were saying, which is, how can this be the Savior? How can he be the Son of God? Isn't this the Son of Mary? Isn't this the Son of Joseph? Isn't this the brother of, of Jude? Isn't this the brother of James? And James and Jude began to think in their head, probably much like Joseph's brother thought about him. Who are you to exalt yourself above us? Who are you to think you're better than we are? And they didn't believe that Jesus was the Son of God and Savior of the world. And Jesus knew it. Jesus knew that his mother was not in best hands with them. And Jesus said, Beloved, you have been faithful to me. And I know without a shadow of a doubt that you love me. And I'm asking you, can you please take care of my mother? And mother, I'm asking you if you can please respect me and move in. I know that people's going to criticize you and, and they're going to ask, oh, why are you old in age and you're moving in with somebody who's not even family to you? But just believe me, mama, James has your best interest. John has your best interest. Thank you, whoever did that. My wife thought it, but you said it. But I ain't marrying you. And, and he knew that John had his best interests. And, and here's what really comes to me. Here, here's it. Here's it right here. Jesus knew James and Jude, his other brothers. I think one's name was maybe Joseph. He also knew his sisters for the entire span of their life. Maybe they were 30. We don't really know how old they were, but what we know is that Jesus grew up with siblings. He, he played basketball at the local park. He went to the YMCA. He went to school with them. They graduated from the same high school. They attended family reunions year in and year out. They had stories that dated back to when they were little kids. They scraped their knees together. They had all kinds of memories, but yet beloved John shows up on the scene and knows Jesus for three years. And he becomes more intimate with Jesus in three years than his brothers became in a lifetime. Let me tell you a story about when I encountered the grace of God. And I'll never forget it. I, most of you know, and I hate to always share it, but I have to. I was uh, um, incarcerated and, and there for quite a while, all, about a, a year and a half, and I was 20 years old. And, and, and I remember after three weeks, there was about three of us. There was a guy named Asan from Baltimore City. He was going away for 20 years for shooting somebody, attempt murder. Uh, there was another guy named Rel, and there was me. And Asan, Rel, and I spent a few weeks together. And in a few weeks, I remember weeping and crying out, pouring my heart out to him and them to me. And we said, man, I've never been this close to somebody in all my life. And I just met you. And I met you on the block being locked up. I remember us weeping our eyes out. And, and I say that because we realized that day that the Spirit of God is able to supersede time and make us so in tune with people. That's why it's so important for marriages to have more than just emotional and sexual. We need to have spiritual because real relationships are built through the Spirit. 
Yeah, blood is thicker than water, but the spirit is thicker than blood. Yes, you can build relationships and say, I've known them for 25 years. But when you go to a revival together, when you go on a retreat together, when you cry out and pour out your heart to somebody and you confide in them and share your life with them, what happens is God breaks through time and begins to connect you like you never thought you could be connected before. And some of us are thinking, I don't have a brother. I wish I had someone. Can I tell you that? that what you think may take a lifetime he can do it overnight because the spirit of God is able and capable and you may have come in lonely but you cry out your heart and begin to say I need you in my life and he will begin to sever and and fill uh, that void and draw you close and bring intimacy in your life like never before I know a lot of you women can testify when you go away to the women's retreat and you're like, man, I've been worshiping with them for all this time and I go away for two and a half days and I can't believe how amazing they are. Because the Spirit of God has the ability to connect us so deep. And the enemy wants you to think you're lonely. He wants you to think that there's no way that there can be any sort of fulfillment in your life. And I want you to know that God has the ability to break the time that you think it requires to grow intimate with someone. And through prayer and and, and transparency and vulnerability and and just confide in each other and and a mentorship, father-son, mother-daughter, sister-to-sister relationship, God can begin to do what you've been wanting for so long because blood is thicker than water, but the Spirit is thicker than blood. My prayer today is that we can become a little bit more like John. Can you just bow your heads all over this place and we're going to pray together. Father, I thank you so much for this message today on the great apostle John. Lord, he did not allow himself to stay where he was. He continued to change. I pray that we, the people who experience you, will not get stuck where we are, but we will continue to change. John did not worry about making a name for himself. He was more interested in making you be known. Help us to be just like that. John realized that the greatest relationships was not his family. Yes, they're good and family is important. But Lord, we need to be building spiritual relationships of accountability. And Father, I pray that you're doing that as well in us. I pray that you are helping us to become more like John in all of the wonderful attributes that are displayed in the great scriptures. Lord, we honor you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us and we hope this message blessed you. 